0: confessed our faith in him as well as our sins we've offered our hearts in, as a living sacrifice in his kingdom and now we have the great honor and privilege to go before him in intercession to pray for one another and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will you go before the Lord and pray with me our heavenly father we approach you in your magnificent light that through your grace and mercy we would come before you the one who knew no sin who became sin for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you, O Lord, of this great, humble, and honored privilege as your children to gather and to worship you, but also to offer up all of our deepest needs before your kingdom. We pray, O Lord, for our world around us. We think of those who are first responders in our societies, for our police departments, for our firefighters, for our doctors, and many others. We pray, O Lord, that as these various vocations are used, that they would be used, O oh Lord, in a way that preserves life, and that not only preserves life, but also protects life. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless those who are on the front lines, who often put their own lives in dangerous way in order to protect ours. We pray, O oh Lord, that you continue to give them courage, that you give them boldness, that you give them humility as they serve in their various roles. But we also pray, O oh Lord, that you would give them faith that you would soften the hearts of those who serve tirelessly to protect us, that you would grant them grace in offering them Christ even now through the witness of the gospel. We pray, O Lord, and thank you for them. And We pray, O Lord, that you would soften all those who serve in this regard to confess Christ, the true King over all the earth. We pray also, O Lord, for the work of the church and its mission. We think of the various seminaries that are supported throughout the PCA, We think of Reformed Seminary, Covenant Theological Seminary, Greenville Seminary, Westminster Theological Seminary, and there are many others. We pray, O Lord, that as these various seminaries have various strengths and weaknesses, that you'd use each one of them to raise up ministers of the gospel for the church here in the PCA, but also more broadly throughout the church, throughout all of America and the world. We pray, O Lord, that through these seminaries and their various presidents, that you, O Lord, would bring revival through those who are trained. That you would continue to prepare men to serve in the vocation of minister, whether that be here locally, nationally, or internationally. We pray, O Lord, that you use these seminaries to raise up Bible-believing, reformed Christians to preach the gospel of the true and living Christ to the dead and dying throughout the world. We pray now for your grace and mercy upon each of these institutions. Hasten them, O Lord, to greater fidelity to your scriptures, to greater fidelity to the faith, and we pray, O Lord, that those who'd be trained by these institutions would champion what they have learned in the classroom to the ends of the earth. We also pray, O Lord, for those who are lost. We think of those who are lost on the continent of Australia, O Lord, we pray for those who do not know you. We pray for the Presbyterian church there, and we pray for revival within the people there. We pray, O Lord, that there would be a softening of hearts on that continent, and in that softening, O Lord, that the gospel would bring true. We pray, O Lord, that you'd send men to preach the gospel there as ministers and planters of the church. We pray, O Lord, that you'd also raise up from their own populations those who would be convicted, so to serve Christ in this regard. We pray, O oh Lord, for the mission work found there on that that continent, though so far away. We pray, O oh Lord, your gospel would go to the ends of the earth as well as there. We also pray, O oh Lord, for our own congregation. We pray as for grace and truth, but also, O oh Lord, that we would be a people that grow in unity, unity with the Father who has sent the Son to us, but also, O oh Lord, greater unity. With one another. We thank you, O oh Lord, for our fellowship groups that often meet and seek to facilitate this unity. But we also pray, O oh Lord, for greater unity within our body. That all who see Providence Presbyterian Church would see a unified church, not a church merely unified by being uh, joyful with one another, but a church that is unified by what the Scripture teaches, by the doctrines of the faith. O oh Lord, reform our hearts and minds to have greater unity of who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in that great unity, that we would also find great enjoyment in one another as we profess that great doctrine. We pray also, Lord, for those who are ailing in our congregation. We think of each and every one of our own battles with sin. Many of us feel defeated, even in the congregation today. We pray, O Lord, for your grace and mercy. O Lord, we don't know the ins and outs of every situation within our congregation, but we know that there is difficulty, that there is pain, that there is hurting, and that there is sin that has risen up within our own lives that make us defeated. And so we pray, O Lord, as we call upon your spirit to condescend and be with us, that your spirit would reign triumphantly in our own hearts and minds that we would battle sin, mortifying it and killing it, destroying it by the power of your spirit through the great work of repentance. Be with our congregation now, O, O Lord, as we seek to battle our own flesh, our own flesh and blood for the sake of your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, We are in the fifth sermon and still within the first chapter of the gospel here. I I assure you the first chapter is ending soon. We won't be here forever. The first chapter here, five sermons in, is where we will, uh, excuse me, we will likely end. I hope to end with this sermon here as we look forward to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we had the Magnificat. The great song that Mary wrote at the end of the first act of the great story of redemption. And now here we have the Benedictus. The opening of the second act with the song of Zechariah. Somewhat emblematic of last week's song, but different. Different in that as Mary gone away, though we get no word last week of the birth of John, we now focus in as Christ departs. With Mary, we now get the birth of John himself. But even in the birth of John, we don't get the absence of Christ. As we will see in the great Benedictus of Zechariah, that he says that his son will be that great trumpet that prepares the way for the Messiah to come. That John, as great as he might be in the work of redemption, he is not the lead role. He is a supporting character a supporting character that prepares the way today we get the birth of john and the great song to go with it stand with me then as we read together luke chapter one picking up in verse 57 going through the end of the chapter this here is the word of god now the time came for elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relative, relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet to write. His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came upon all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be, for the hand of the Lord was with him, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, and he has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from, the, from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy, promise to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant and the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all days. And you, child, will be called the prophet from the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the Son shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadows of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew, and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to israel here ends the gospel lesson and this is the word of the lord you may be seated some people love to be in the spotlight I think it was Theodore Roosevelt's daughter who said that her father wanted to be the bride of every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. And she said this because Theodore loved to be the center of attention. As Mary exits the scene, it is a great and ripe opportunity for John to become the center of attention. But what you notice in this passage is that John doesn't become the center of attention as jesus exits the scene Zacharias sings great songs of joy about his coming son and the work that he will do in preparing not for his life but the life of another that he comes maybe as the prophet of the most high god but he doesn't come as the son of the most high god you see john has a work to play but he as great as his work might be, isn't the central role of salvation. You see, Jesus, as you would all know that you've all learned in your Sunday school from very young age, is that Jesus is the leading actor of this great play. He is the one that brings salvation to his people. He is the lead, and all around him are support. Some may even cast even further aside as background characters. John as great as his work may be, is not the lead in this play. He is a side character. He is one that prepares the way. He is not the one in the main story here. He's not the lead actor, and neither are you. You have an important role to play in salvation, even as John had an important role to play in salvation, but you are not the lead actor in this story. As you open the Bible, the lead actor, who it all is pointing towards, is the birth and coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think quite naturally, though, all of us have an itch in our heart to be recognized. We want to be the lead. You've heard it many in, in youth group programs that, Who is the pilot of your heart? Are you leading the pilot? Are you the co-pilot? Where are you in this great work of salvation? Well, what we learn here today is that John is in the background. He is a side character preparing the way of the Lord. Even as we all want to play lead, we must learn that we are not the lead. I mean, it's good that we're often recognized for our work. I often love to be recognized by my own children and wife for something that I had done in our home. But sometimes that own yearning can turn to sin when I desire to be the center of attention. Every one of us has this desire, the desire to be recognized, the desire to be the center of all that we are. But you are not the center today. Jesus is. In the story of salvation, then, you must learn your role. That's what we're going to learn today. You must learn your role. Well, first we learned in this passage, your role is assigned by God. You don't get to choose your role in the salvation story. Your role is assigned by God. We see this assignment by God to the naming of John himself. You see, as as John was born, as you'd expect, everyone came excited to meet this new baby. This nameless baby, as it were, because the name of the baby would come just a few days later as he would be circumcised. But I get, I bet, that as all these families, all these neighbors came around to meet this new baby, baby Zach, as maybe they would call him, they expected his name to carry on the lineage of his father. They expected him to be a Zachariah. That was the traditional thing to do at the time. And obviously, this is a traditional family, a faithful family, a family of priests, a family that did not wait like we might wait to baptize our children as they come up and walk up themselves because they're so old. They waited on the eighth day and circumcised. They were strict. They were a letter-to-the-law kind of people, and therefore they expected this baby to be baby Zechariah expected it but what they learn as they come to circumcise this child is that this child will not be named zachariah what does elizabeth say in this passage as it opens his name will be called john will be called a phrase that was referenced just a few verses ago by the angel himself to zachariah it's almost the work of the spirit as you see here is elizabeth knows the name he will be called he knew she knew exactly somehow what gabriel himself said he will be called john john meaning graced by god it's quite interesting how the neighbors respond to elizabeth they think she's crazy they say this woman ain't right there's something wrong here they have been without child. They have no legacy. And this is the time for them to solidify their legacy by continuing the tradition of naming their child Zachariah to carry on Zachariah's great legacy as a priest and a Levite. And instead they choose John. This lady ain't right. It's much maybe how you would protest my family and how we would name our kids if my... If, I, if you talk to my wife for any moment of time, you'll learn that I have kooky names that I would name our children. And you would be floored if we came up here to baptize our own child with some of those names. Uh, we don't know if we have a boy or girl, but some of the names I like are Cornelius, Archibald, Edmund, Herman, Gerhardus. If I brought baby Gerhardus up here to baptize him in October. You would say, he ain't right. How on earth did he get his wife to name that child your hardest? You would turn away from me to my wife. You would learn quickly as she would confirm the name, there must be something just wrong with this family. And that's how these people thought in this passage. They they said, well, we went to Elizabeth. She seems out of her mind like Pastor Scott seems out of his mind with naming conventions. So let's go to the other authority. Let's see if we can clear this up by going to the father." And it is a remarkable experience here that apparently Zacharias not only lost his tongue, but he also lost his ears because they have to make signs to him in order to try to communicate him to him. He is deaf. And he says, grab me a scrap of clay. on that tablet he wrote his name as John. It is a miraculous experience because Zacharias... Zachariah did not hear the conversation that had just taken place, obviously, if they have to gesture the experience to them. He had not heard, and yet he has the same response as his wife, scribbling on that scratched piece of clay what the child's name will be. You see here, quite simply, we don't choose our role. God chooses our role, and he chooses John's role At the beginning here with his name a name that as given would terrify the people around him not because perhaps the name itself was scary but the great work of both mother and father knowing the name of the child in the midst of Zachariah's deplorable state there must be something great going on here so great that after that word john is finished scribbling that zachariah's mouth opens verse 64 says and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing god why is this a significant event it is a significant event in the life of the coming messiah that Zechariah had now repented of his former ways Zechariah is given a second chance from the Lord in this passage. He doubted the angel when the angel said that you will have a child and you will name him John. Now we see that both Elizabeth and John submit to the work of the Father in the life and call of the Son by the naming of the Son. What Zachariah once doubted, he now confirms by the name of the Son. Him naming John, John, signifies that he believes that the Lord is at work here. That it is not even his role or Elizabeth's role to name the child that the Lord himself called John. But we notice even here that as Zechariah finally receives the same spirit that others had received before him. You see that as Zachariah is given a special spirit in verse 67 he is filled with the same Holy Spirit prophesying as first Mary received as she received the spirit that she would receive the son then Elizabeth would receive as she did last week as she declared the glory of God as she came into the presence of the Christ that same spirit now condescends to Zechariah, there's a revival service in this small town where many people are receiving the Spirit and prophesying and giving declaration for what the Lord has done and will do. It creates fear within the people. The man that they had not heard say a word in nine months, who can't appear to hear anyone, now bursts forth with joy at the one who has come. It stirred fear and wonderment. The same wonderment that Mary would have as she heard the work of the God, of God in giving her a child. That same wonderment and fear bestows all who comes in contact with it. It was an unsettling experience. Not only did they name a child outside of naming conventions, this once mute and seemingly dumb man has regained all his function. Sometimes when we don't expect something, it, it makes us uh, jump. Uh, we, we can jump. I think of my own home in the same regard. When my wife, she creeps around the house, not intentionally, she is so quiet, and she'll just appear behind me. And when I turn around or step back and bump into her, it makes me jump. I don't expect it. It's the same here as the people hear the words of zachariah blessing the lord in great triumph a man they expected a quiet somber experience a quiet house with a quiet priest of a husband now bursts forth with joy startles all that around because Zechariah declares the role of god for john it is not his role but god's role our role then isn't like zachariah's or uh, like john's role we do not prepare the way for the messiah like john did but it is analogous that the lord chooses our role he's the one that prepares our way we are reminded in the shorter catechism as we uh, uh recited a few weeks ago that man's chief end is to glorify god and to enjoy him forever and what that means is that's our role What is your role in salvation? It is to receive the salvation given to you and then to enjoy God and to declare his glory for all of your life. That is your role. The salvation that Zachariah is now experiencing in great joy, you too should have your own benedictus. That you declare the great joy and glory of God through your work as a background character in this story. Sometimes the chorus in the background, the, the, the great choir in the background of any musical or, or song livens up the whole play. And so too with those who declare the glory of God as they cheer and worship the Son who is the central role. We all have a role to play. That role is like Zechariah worshiping the true and living God, declaring his glory to his neighbors, to his family, to his friends. You have a role to play. The role is given to you by God. In the story of salvation, you have to learn your role. We first learn that that role is assigned by God. It is to declare God's glory. But then we also learn the what of our role, that God promises us salvation. That's what we see in the first part of Zechariah's song. He begins to praise God for what? As you look down, it says he praises God through the prophecy of, of visiting his people and redeeming them he redeems god's people god promises his people redemption or salvation this would have been interpreted in a few different ways a wrong way and a right way but many of the people would have thought that this meant that israel would be physically redeemed perhaps even those there who were questioning and curious were wondering that if the coming messiah would mean that the people would finally be free from their roman oppressors Will we finally be free? Will we finally be redeemed? Will we finally have salvation in the land of Israel? They would have misunderstood. They would have thought that Jesus' salvation only applied to the very narrow part of the country that they lived in. They didn't understand that what the salvation that the Lord offers is much greater. The redemption is much greater than merely Israel itself. It applies then and expands throughout all the empire. The throne that Christ is promised in this passage is not a throne that is merely in the land of Palestine, but a throne that is promised to rule over all creation itself. The very throne that Christ reigns on today is what Zechariah is talking about here with the Davidic king. That in the ascension of christ as he rules on his throne he will bring salvation to his people a salvation offered to all who he has given the name son but how does he prepare this way again this is a preparatory passage we see that in verse 69 and following that the lord prepares this way through the horn of salvation verse 69 and it has arised raised up a horn of salvation us in the house of the servant david as he has spoken by the mouth of the holy prophets of old that he should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hates us how is the way prepared it is prepared by the horn of salvation john is the horn of salvation here he is not the servant of david as in the son of david he is the horn of david he is the one that trumpets the sound of the coming king You think of a king who has returned home maybe from a distant land enters the palace and the palace bursts forth with trumpet sounds in the reception of their king that is the work of John he trumpets the coming of Christ he trumpets he prepares much like if you've read the Lord of the Rings like the warning beacons of Gondor as those things are lit they relay off each other and light up the whole country of Gondor to prepare for a warning of war. In the same or similar way, then, John is this beacon. He is a beacon that flashes forth the light of Christ to prepare the way of Christ, to prepare salvation. How does John prepare salvation? Well, we see in verse 70 to 75 that there are three ways that he prepares us for salvation, that God will save us from those who hate us. He'll save us from our enemies. This is both external and internal. He saves us from the enemies and the outside world, those who seek the destruction of God's people, but He saves us from ourselves, our own sin. That's who He prepares the way for. That's what this salvation includes, but it also includes mercy, remembering the Lord's covenant with us, and also it reclu- includes making us righteous the lord doesn't only free us from our sin but he makes us righteous he extends mercy to us you may feel somewhat crummy today as you come to worship the lord as we had the brief moment to confess our sins to him you you say i don't have enough time i need more time this one minute even if that is not enough i've had a bad week well the lord comes in his salvation to free you from yourself from your own sin. He grants you mercy on this Lord's day. He grants you mercy as he remembers his covenant with you. That he himself will walk through the parts that you might be saved in him. And that in that salvation you would be made right and holy. How are you made holy? It is through the salvation that the Lord brings. But I know you because I know myself. And I know that I'm like what Proverbs 26 says. You all know the verse well. Like a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. How often on the Lord's day do you confess the same sins? The same sins to your God. We are like that dog. But in the Lord's grace and mercy, He offers us salvation. The salvation that is prepared for by this great prophet, by the prophet John. In the story of salvation, you must learn your role. Your role is assigned by God. God promises you salvation. And lastly, we learn that our salvation comes by forgiveness. How does how are you made right with God? It is through the forgiveness of your sins. And that's what we see in the last part of the song here. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare His way to give knowledge of salvation to the people and the forgiveness of their sins. How does, the God, how does our God bring salvation to us? It is by forgiving all of our iniquities, all our wrongs, from the smallest sin that we commit to the greatest sin that we commit. He comes bringing salvation to us. Through forgiveness and that is the work of John in the wilderness he preaches salvation through the forgiveness of sins by the coming Messiah who will forgive you John doesn't say I will forgive you it is not his work or duty to forgive rather it is to prepare people to look to the one who will forgive salvation comes through the forgiveness of sin what we learn here in the work of John as the greatest prophet is even being the greatest prophet means that you are subordinate to the Son of the Most High. He is perhaps greater than Ezekiel, greater than Elijah, greater than Moses, greater than all the prophets that you know but maybe struggle to understand. He is the greatest prophet. And yet even the greatest prophet of Israel yields all over to Christ. You see it in but a few chapters or verses where John meets the Messiah. And in that meeting of the Messiah, he loses his disciples. And there's the question of, are you just going to give all your disciples over to Jesus? And John says, yes, because that is the one whom I prepared the way for. That salvation that comes through forgiveness John prepares the way for the light but he himself is not the light that's what you see in verse 78 the tender mercy of God whereby the Sun shine shall rise uh, shall visit us from on high the, the work of John is prepar- preparatory even in that he prepares the way for the light as John chapter 1 in the gospel says he does there was a man sent from God whose name was John he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him he was though not the light but came to bear witness about the light john's witness is to prepare he bears witness to christ and how does he bear witness to christ he reveals that salvation comes through the forgiveness of sins by the messiah the light that we then possess as john prepares our way is the light that is Christ himself. The one that forgives is the one that shines his light into our own dark hearts. Though we might be ashamed of our own sin and our own past, we have a, a God that shines brightly in our own hearts as we confess our sins to him and call upon him in forgiveness. It is remarkable that, that the Lord would bring redemption to a people such as us. He does so through the confession of, of sin through repentance redemption in our own culture has a much different connotation than that in scripture i think of watching football and various sports and when a when a an athlete fails it is to his own shame that the entire fan base hates that person uh, they hate them i, I think of, of robbie gould good as gould as we would say for the chicago bears he very rarely missed kicks we we loved. Robbie he's a Christian too, though that's not germane to the illustration. Uh, But when he did miss a kick, we did not forgive him. Though he can make great kicks with great consistency when he missed a kick, we were harsh with him until he finally made a good kick again. And what do you call that? You call that redemption. He has redeemed himself. When when Jay Cutler threw his 700th uh, interception, we only forgave him when he threw a touchdown pass. He finally did something good. He was redeemed. That is not how the Lord uses redemption. The Lord uses redemption and not that, okay, I failed and now I must redeem myself. That's probably how you view it. Uh, how do I make myself right with God because I sinned throughout this week? How do I make myself? Well, I will redeem myself. I will do something good. I will give money away. I will, I will help someone in need. I'll be selfless this week. We think of redemption in the way that the world thinks of redemption. But what this passage teaches us that salvation and redemption don't come by us doing what is right. It comes by the coming Messiah that saves us. We are not the central role. We are not the actor, the lead actor in this story. It is Christ. And your redemption doesn't come by you doing right this time. It comes by the Son of God that died for you. The story of salvation in this story, you must learn your role. It's a background role. It is cheering on the Christ and worshiping the one that grants you salvation through the forgiveness of sin. You must learn your role. You must step out of the spotlight this morning. Step out of it and recognize your own humble role as one who's in the background worshiping the great God that saved you. We all have the same ailment. We all want to be the center of attention. We all want to be the lead, but not today. Today, if you hear His voice, call upon the Son that gives you salvation. Be like John. Learn your role. Be like Zachariah. Learn your role. A role of praising the great God that saves those through the forgiveness of sins. Let us close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You That it is not by our work, but by your work, that we might have life today. Lord, teach us to confess our sins well. Stir our hearts to greater faithfulness as we cheer on the great work of Christ by worshiping and magnifying his great name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.